One of my very favorite Broadway shows is an old musical called Pippin. It's, if you're not familiar with the show, it follows a young man named Pippin who is the son of Emperor Charlemagne in his quest to find some extraordinary meaning in his life. My first experience with the show was as a freshman in high school, Pippin was our spring musical that year. As a trombone player, I was in the pit orchestra. Now most of the time leading up to the show, my focus was on learning the trombone part. I didn't pay much attention to what the show was about. But as we had the final run-throughs of the show, I started paying attention to what was going on on the stage. And it began to register with me what the grand finale was that they kept referring to throughout the show. After having tried everything he could think of and failing to find some extraordinary meaning in his life that he was looking for, the players in the show try to convince Pippin to throw himself into a raging fire and go out in a blaze of glory, burning like the sun as everyone looks on as the thing that will make his life spectacular, if short. This will be the show's long-awaited grand finale. Now, I probably shouldn't confess this to you, but as I sat there in the West High Auditorium contemplating what was happening on stage, I found my 15-year-old self thinking, well, that would be a pretty spectacular way to go. Don't worry, I've never been tempted to actually try it. There's a quote that's often attributed to John Wesley. Asked how he drew such large crowds to his preaching, Wesley is supposed to have said, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Now, even though that quote is often attributed to John Wesley, there's no evidence that he ever actually said it. I think it's probable that he didn't say it at all. Catchy as the phrase is, Wesley knew full well that he did not set himself on fire. It was God who lit the match. It was Jesus who strangely warmed his heart. It was the Holy Spirit who guided his words and his actions. It's been true all along from the beginnings of the church. Today, we're looking at a passage of scripture about a time when all of the disciples were set on fire for Jesus. It was the day of Pentecost. Today we remember Pentecost as a Christian holy day, the day that this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. We celebrate Pentecost on the 50th day after Easter, the word Pentecost being Greek for 50th. Back then when the book of Acts says when the day of Pentecost came, it was referring to a Jewish festival that took place 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the Feast of Weeks because it comes seven weeks or a week of weeks after the first fruits. It was a pilgrim festival, meaning that all of the able-bodied Jewish men within a certain region were obligated to come to Jerusalem for the festival. That's why there were Jews of all different backgrounds and languages gathered in Jerusalem that day. It's also why all of Jesus' followers were there. And since they were all in the city at the same time, it was natural that all of Jesus' followers would get together while they were there. Where exactly this gathering place was, we don't know. There weren't any church buildings yet, so it wasn't a church. 
In earlier years, they would have gone to the synagogue, but this was just seven weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Although the believers were still fully Jewish, the other Jews who didn't believe in Jesus were probably not going to provide the most welcoming environment for this Christian fellowship. It appears that they were gathered in a house, but it must have been a very big house. Chapter 1 of Acts says that there were about 120 believers at that time, and chapter 2 says they were all together in this one place. So these 120 believers were gathered in one house where they could not only commemorate the Jewish Feast of Weeks, but also celebrate their common belief in Jesus. They were there to comfort one another in a difficult and hostile environment. They were there to support one another in living out their Christian faith in a world in which they didn't quite know yet what that would mean. No doubt they were worshiping together, praying together, eating together, probably sharing the Eucharist together. And that's when the Holy Spirit showed up. Luke describes it in various and vivid ways. The sound as of the blowing of a violent wind. The appearance of tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Dramatic as the sound and the sight of it must have been, what caught everybody's attention, especially all of the non-believers who witnessed this event, was when the believers all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Two points about this passage. First, once again, this took place when all the believers were gathered together. We've heard this theme a lot over the past several weeks. Following the resurrection, Jesus presented himself alive to his followers most often when they were together. There were unique and isolated situations in which he appeared to individuals, but that was the exception rather than the rule. In general, the risen Christ showed up in community. It's no different with the Holy Spirit. It's no accident. It's not a coincidence that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened when the Christians were all together in one place. And it's, it's not just the 12 either. Luke makes it clear that this was all the Christians that there were at the time. All the believers were together in one place when they received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is for the community. As Paul would later write in one of his letters to the Corinthians, the Spirit is given for the common good, not for the good of the individual believer, for the common good. Likewise, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul noted that the gifts which come from the Spirit are given to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The second thing to note in this passage, then, is that the Holy Spirit is given specifically for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, the church, by spreading the word to those who have not yet received the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit filled the Christians as they gathered together with other Christians, but they were not isolated from the rest of the world. They may have been in a house with other believers when the passage started, but they were not cut off from the others in Jerusalem. Acts makes the point that the others in Jerusalem saw what was going on. They heard the gospel being proclaimed, each in their own language, and they were drawn to the truth because of it. One thing that always intrigues me about this passage is how, at some point, 
the walls of the house seem to disappear. Think about it. When the passage begins, the believers are all in one house. The Holy Spirit shows up. They start speaking in unknown languages. And the next thing you know, there are thousands of Jews from every nation under heaven hearing what's going on and interacting with the disciples. Now, I can imagine that those thousands of onlookers from other nations had all squeezed inside the same house where the 120 Christians were already crammed inside. At some point, those 120 spirit-filled Christians spilled from the house out onto the streets. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say they were driven out, driven out by the Holy Spirit to go out and start spreading the word. Those two points taken together show us a certain key about the Christian faith. One, the believers all gathered in one place where they received the Holy Spirit. And two, they then left that place, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go spread the fire that they had received. Seems to me like it's easy for us to err on either side of that equation. What I mean is that there are some Christians who on the one hand neglect the importance of gathering with other Christians. And on the other hand, there are Christians who will show up every time the church doors are open, but once the service is over, they leave all that spirit stuff inside the building. Both of those are a mistake. Neither of those meets God's intention for the Christian community. In the book of Acts, it talks about how the early Christians shared everything together. They were with each other daily. They worshiped together on Sunday, yes, but... Not just Sunday, they shared meals together throughout the week. They shared the Eucharist together throughout the week. They gathered for prayer and mutual encouragement throughout the week. Over time, it became the norm that Christians gathered at least every Sunday. Many would also meet at other times of the week for home groups, for Bible studies, for prayer meetings, for other celebrations. But at a minimum, they all came together at least once a week for worship. That was the norm in Christianity for almost 2,000 years. Not anymore. If someone today says that they attend church regularly, they could mean a wide variety of things by that. For many, it might mean something like once a month, maybe twice. For some, it's a whole lot less than that. It's not just because our society is busier than in the past. That might play into it. But the bigger issue is that we've lost the importance of community in our religion. We've turned faith into a private affair. It's about me and Jesus, and I don't need the church for that. That is not the religion of the Bible. According to the Bible, you do need the church to have a proper relationship with Jesus. You do need to be with other Christians as often as possible, not a couple times a year, not just when it's convenient for you. If you want the Holy Spirit to fit into your schedule, then you're already shutting the Holy Spirit out. Now that those of you who are here every single Sunday are saying, right on, preach it, brother. Well, let me now turn to you. It's not just about showing up when the house of prayer is open. It's about what happens when you leave the house of prayer. Are you taking the Holy Spirit with you? 
Or when you walk out the door, do you say to the Holy Spirit, see you next week? Let me rephrase that. It's not about are you taking the Holy Spirit with you? It's about, is the Holy Spirit taking you along? Is the Holy Spirit driving you out of this place filled with his power and ready to share his love? Is the Holy Spirit a fire that burns within you so strongly that other people can't help but catch on fire when you're around? Do you go from here ready to follow wherever the Spirit leads? Do whatever the Spirit tells you to do. Say whatever the Spirit leads you to say. Are you so on fire with the Holy Spirit that others around you are amazed and perplexed and ask one another, what does this mean? Not only have we privatized our religion, we've also compartmentalized our lives such that we sometimes think of faith as one aspect of life, something that gets its exercise on Sunday mornings. Being filled with the Spirit is something to keep inside the walls of the church. Well, being filled with the Spirit is something that should happen inside the walls of the church. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit when they gathered in that house on the day of Pentecost. But they didn't keep the Spirit in that house with them. They were driven by the Spirit out into the streets where they became a conspicuous testimony to people who had not yet heard the gospel. So much so... So much so that people were amazed and perplexed and asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, of course, scoffed. They've had too much wine. That's one of the main reasons, I think, that we're not more conspicuous about our faith in public because we know some people will scoff and scorn. And they will. They always do. They always have. On that first day of Pentecost, at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, some people said the disciples must be drunk. But the disciples didn't let that stop them. They didn't allow that to divert them from what the Spirit was leading them to do. Peter stood up and preached in front of a crowd of thousands. There were even some in that crowd that day who had taken part in killing Jesus. But Peter who just a matter of weeks earlier had been so fearful of these people that he denied ever knowing Jesus, that same Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up in front of the entire crowd of thousands proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Now, you may not be called to do that. That's not the point. On that day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers, and only one of them was called to preach to the crowds. But they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were all called to witness in some way. Again, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. We sometimes get hung up on that speaking in other languages part. That's probably not something that most of us here have experienced personally, We might have some conflicting ideas about the whole speaking in tongues thing. But the most important part of that sentence is not they began to speak in other languages. The most important part of that sentence is as the Spirit enabled them. As the Spirit enabled them. This is about what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up when the Holy Spirit takes charge, when the Holy Spirit begins to flow through an entire congregation and move them all as he sees fit. 
all of them witnessed in different languages as the Spirit enabled. And the other people in the crowd all heard the message in their own language. Translate that to us. Each one of us witnesses in our own ways as the Spirit has created us to do, as the Spirit enables us to do. And because of that, when we actually do that, everyone out there, everyone beyond these walls, receives the message of Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. Because the people out there are all different. That's part of what Acts 2 makes very clear. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, people from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya. It's not just about geography and language. It's about the fact that everyone is different. Something that works for one person is not going to work for another. Something that speaks to one person is going to be gibberish to another. Something that is convincing to one person will be discredited by another. It takes everyone, every member of the church, every part of the body of Christ. It takes all of us witnessing in different ways as the Spirit enables to relay the gospel to the multitudes. For some, that will be through words and reason. For others, that will be through the experience of compassion. For another, it will be through witnessing an unexpected miracle. For still another, it will be an unexpected act of forgiveness. For some, it will be through works of mercy and justice. For others, it will be concern for God's creation. For another, it will be systematic teaching. For still another, it will be entering into the mystery of prayer. None of us are going to do all of those things. But all of us, together, doing the part that God has given to us, going out beyond these walls, filled with the Holy Spirit, being driven out the door by the Spirit moving us, all of us doing what the Spirit enables us to do, will. We will speak in every language needed to get the message across. We will witness in every manner that will drive home the truth of the gospel for someone else. We will minister in every way necessary so that others may receive. Receive what? Receive the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That was the content of Peter's sermon. That was the meaning of the disciples' speech in all the different languages. That is the message that the Holy Spirit relays through us in all of our multiple and varied ways. Jesus Christ was crucified, put to death for our sins so that our sin might be put to death in him. He rose from the grave, bringing resurrection life with him so that we might be lifted to new and eternal life in him. He ascended into heaven where he reigns as Lord for eternity so that we might find our hope and meaning and direction in life from him. That's what Peter was preaching 
That's what all the disciples were declaring. They weren't going on about how great their fellowship is. They were going on about how great their Lord is. And that Lord is Jesus. They weren't promoting themselves as better than others. They were proclaiming their Savior as greater than all. And that Savior is Jesus. They weren't trying to convince others to come join their club. They were trying to convince others to come join their God. And the only way to do that is through Jesus. That is the truth that the Holy Spirit empowered them to declare that day of Pentecost. That is the truth that set them on fire and drove them out to share that fire with others. That is the word that should light us on fire as well. That is the gospel that the Holy Spirit leads us to share with all those we can in every manner in which the Holy Spirit enables. It's not about us being extraordinary people. It's not about our spectacular church. It's not about our wonderful fellowship or our dedicated service. It's about our God. Our God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And who is made manifest to us even now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Who emboldens us to go out and spread that fire both near and far. Until all nations and every person has heard in a language and in a way that they can understand and believe. Amen.